We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 tonight. Acts chapter 17 at a message I call the coming world ruler and what we need to do about it. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Truly the times, uh, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. Our text is set in the ancient city of Athens, Greece. We've looked at this passage before in previous messages at other times, so I'll simply mention tonight how that Paul found the whole city given to idolatry, and that's in verse 16. He began, as he did in every other place where he went, to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ as he had opportunity. And he ends up then before the magistrates on the famous Mars Hill, uh, the Athenians had decided that they had enough gods. They had passed a rule that nobody could introduce new gods or new religions in Athens. And, and so that's uh, how things had come to this place where Paul then was on Mars Hill. This was a renowned place. It was an intellectual center. It would be like the Ivy League today, kind of like Harvard and Yale. And a lot of those places all rolled into one. That was Mars Hill. And that's where Paul was. He was not speaking within the confines of a church house. He was very much in the public forum. He was not facing a friendly crowd. He was facing a very hostile and very skeptical crowd. First of all, because he was a Jew. And secondly, because he was a Jewish Christian. His audience was renowned for their intellectualism, for their devotion to seeking out new things. They were proud of their knowledge. They were proud of their education. They were world-renowned for their philosophical uh, contributions and intellectual contributions to the ancient world. This place in of education and philosophy brought Paul the Apostle on the stage. Uh, in that renowned place, Paul begins a message that no doubt would have ended with a solid gospel presentation had he been allowed to preach to the end of the message. But he was interrupted. Uh, verse 32 tells us that the crowd began to mock him when they heard him speak of the resurrection of the dead. They mocked. They laughed at him. They'd already called him a babbler. A seed picker. That, uh, uh, what's a seed picker, this babbler, going to say? They'd already made fun of him. Uh, as if uh, there was nothing that this person could possibly offer in such a renowned and such an intellectual place. What does this seed picker think he's going to say to us? So they'd already made fun of him. But now they're mocking his message. How did Paul respond? He left. He departed. I do not believe Paul walked away with his head held low, dragging his feet in the dust. Oh, I've been defeated. Because the Bible says that some believed. Some believed. 
And though there was a a big host of people there who rejected and mocked him and laughed at him, some believed. I I can see Paul walking away with somebody grabbing at him and said, Hey, Paul, I want to hear something else. And he was able then to go over and begin with people who were receptive and share with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people were saved. Now, Paul didn't start a church in Athens, but I'll tell you something tonight. When you can go into a university crowd as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus, Christ and leave out with people saved I'd call that a success story how about you that was Paul and that was what was happening there on Mars Hill this Paul statement near then what would become the end of this message that will be our focus tonight some have argued from this passage that God overlooked the times when people didn't know him So as to give them a free pass into heaven. But that's not what this passage says at all. When Paul referred to the times of this ignorance, he had already spelled out what those times of ignorance were. Back up in verse 23, when he spoke to them about the altar that they had built to the unknown God. You see, he was pointing out to them, I'm not preaching to you some new God. I'm preaching to the one that you have right here. And you ignorantly, he said, worship him. They did not know God. They, of course, did not know how to worship God. And when Paul says the times of this ignorance got winked at, he was simply saying that God did not hold them accountable for the fact that they were worshiping him in the wrong way. They had a much bigger problem. They didn't know God. They were lost. They were lost. And so God overlooked, that's what winked at me, God overlooked their ignorant worship of him. After all, Paul was using that altar as a proof text. He didn't want to condemn it too hard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You're worshiping the unknown God. I want to talk to you about him. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now, Commandeth all men everywhere to repent. They needed, the word to repent means to turn. In this context, it meant they needed to turn from their idol worship. Even, yes, turn from their ignorant worship of God, which was completely wrong. God never told them to build an altar to him. God never told him to burn incense to him. It was nothing like that. God never intended that. What they needed to do was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to turn from their superstitious idolatry. They needed to turn from their paganism. They needed to turn from their prideful intellectualism and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. Repent. That's what John the Baptist preached when he came on the scene. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what Jesus preached? Same thing. Same thing. Now Paul is out there preaching the same thing. It was time for men to repent. And this passage came to my mind this week, and I bring it then to you tonight because of the incredible similarity we see between what was happening here on Mars Hill in Athens in Paul's day so long ago and what is happening in our day. We face a skeptical, hostile crowd. They call us babblers and seed pickers and a whole lot worse. There's a growing hostility in our culture to the message of Jesus Christ that is obvious to us all. 
Like Paul, we find ourselves serving and preaching under the authority of a governmental and social structure, an educational structure that is hostile to the gospel message. And increasingly, increasingly hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. When I see Paul on Mars Hill, I see you. I see you at work on Monday morning. I see you at school. Some of you, I see you in your own house facing a skeptical, hostile audience. I see you at the barber shop. This is you at the beauty shop, if you go. This is you at the coffee shop. This is you on your computer at home. We face a hostile, skeptical world that doesn't think very highly of us, that looks down upon us and are hostile to the message. What do we do? I'm here tonight to call you (laughs) to take a page out of the Apostle Paul's playbook. Because I believe that this passage gives for us a simple plan, a simple example of how we need to conduct ourselves in the days in which we find ourselves living, even right now. There had been a lot going on in the governmental structure of Rome. But Paul didn't mention a bit of that. He did not say one thing about the emperor, not one thing about the plots to assassinate him, not one thing about all the changes going on, not one thing about all the corruption going on. He didn't say a word about it, not one, not one. He didn't mention the Athenian law that prohibited the introduction of new religion. And he could have mentioned that, but he didn't. He didn't launch an attack on the Stoics or the Platonians or the Cynics or any one of the other competing groups represented there that day. Instead, Paul worked within the system that he had. He preached to them on the unknown God and proceeded directly to the message of repentance, which was exactly what that crowd needed to hear at that moment in time. They needed to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Folk, there's never been such a need for truth in our world as we see tonight. I I know that we say those kind of things routinely, but I I really believe it. There's a a dearth of truth in our land. We hear people say it. Where do you go to get the truth? Who's going to tell us the truth? Who do I believe? But you know what? As God's people, we don't have to ask that question. We know where the truth is. We know who to believe. We have the truth. (laughs) Might I say, we have the whole truth. We have the truth. We don't have to wonder about it. We have it. And we need to speak it. God help us. I, I, I don't know how to say this calmly. 
Uh, I'll, I'll just say it the best way I can, folk. We need to stop. And by we, I'm talking about God's people. We need to stop squandering our opportunity to speak the truth by speaking a lot of stuff that we can't prove. You know, the Bible requires us, holds us to a simple standard, and that's two or three witnesses. Under biblical translation, that means that we have to present truth that holds up in a court of law. You have to be able to prove it. This is America. <laughs> you say, well, I can believe and say whatever I want to. That's right. You can. I can't stop you. All I can do tonight to remind you as Christians, we have a responsibility to speak the truth. And this is a day when we need to do that. I've thought often, many times over the course of my ministry, of the group of men that I respected, most of them old, and many of them, almost all of them, gone on to glory now. It came around and laid their hands on my head after I'd received a charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. And I've committed myself over my entire ministry of doing exactly that. I'm not going to stand up here in this pulpit and preach a lot of things that I can't prove. If I'm going to preach it, I'm going to be able to prove it to you and show it to you in the Word of God. And if I turn out at some day, at some time to be wrong, I'll come back and tell you, I was wrong about that. That's happened to me once. <laughs> uh, maybe more than that, a time or two, but... <clears throat> Uh, listen, we get some things in our heads sometimes even as we're trying, doing our best to, to speak what the Bible says. There might be times when we don't get it exactly right. Nobody is arrogant enough to say that they're right all the time. But I'm faithful enough to say that if I preach it to you wrong, I will correct it and I will apologize. But I take that very seriously. And I, I have a strong then commitment to making sure that when we speak something, that we are speaking the truth. And our world desperately needs to hear what we know to be true. That's what Paul did on that day so long ago. He spoke to them what he knew to be true. The message that he delivered was not very long. It was profound. There was a time where you ignorantly worshipped the unknown God and the times of that ignorance was overlooked. But now, those times are done. Now, it's time for you to repent. And there are several reasons then that he gave to them why that this is a time of repentance. Folk, this is a message that you and I need to be proclaiming. And I want us to see it very clearly and very plainly tonight. He said, first of all, we need to repent because God has appointed a day of judgment. God has appointed a day. You see that? God has appointed a day. This is a day for repentance. Why? Because God has appointed a day. Now, I don't think I need to say that again, but just in case I might need to say it again, I will. God has appointed a day. 
I want to remind you the words of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37 that say, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. When Jesus Christ was talking about the time of this day, the time of his coming, he said, No man knows the day or the hour but the Father that is in heaven. Paul puts it this way in our text, God has appointed a day. I want you to know that that day is set and settled in the mind of God, and that day is going to come. God is not going to delay it. He is not going to be late. He is not going to be early. He is going to be right on time. He has appointed a time. That time was appointed while Jesus was here on the earth. The Father knows the time, the day, and the hour, the moment of the time of this day. It is going to come. And it will come at the appointed time. The last four years... I can conclusively say has not influenced the time of the coming of the Lord one bit. The only thing I can tell you is that after four years, we're four years closer to it than we were before. The day has been appointed. Do we honestly think that there's some group of billionaires meeting somewhere over yonder somewhere that is going to have anything to do with the coming of Jesus Christ? Do they have anything to do with setting the time of it? Do you really think that God needs their help to bring any of these things to pass? I think about that Old Testament prophecy where God talked about Gog and Magog and he said, I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and bring you down. (laughs) I'm going to give you a thought. Listen, he didn't leave it to them to decide what they were going to do or how. God said, I'll do it. And he will. I can't tell you all that's going on. I I don't even bother to worry about it a whole lot, to be honest with you. I don't know how it's all going to turn out. Uh, People ask me all the time about America and what's it going to do about this. And I know what we're worried about. We're worried about our retirement savings. We're worried about our business. We're worried about our families. And rightly so. I wish I could give you a lot of answers about that. I can't. But what I can tell you tonight is that God has appointed a time. And that this world has been moving toward that time ever since the Garden of Eden. Ever since God put the creation in place and ever since the fall and the casting down of the world, ever since that there has been this inexorable movement toward a moment of history and we're headed toward it now. The time of the day of the Lord. Paul would stand before Felix and his wife Drusilla and he would reason, Acts 24 and 25, with them of righteousness and temperance and what? Judgment to come. <laughs> Paul preached on this stuff a lot, didn't he? Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And Felix trembled and, and said, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I'm a, 
When you look at that, you'd have to know a little bit about Felix to understand what an incredible statement that was. Felix was a ruthless guy, former slave. Uh, he, he didn't care about nothing or nobody. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, forgive me for letting my South Arkansas out. He didn't care about nothing or nobody. He was a tough, tough guy, and yet he trembled under the preaching of the gospel. Can we remember tonight how powerful this message of the gospel really is? Reason to them of righteousness and temperance. Righteousness they didn't possess. Temperance that they did not practice. A judgment for which they were not prepared. They trembled. Oh, wouldn't it have been great if the story would have been ended that Felix got on his knees and trusted Jesus Christ. It didn't happen. Go your way. Get away. I'm here to remind you tonight that this world has an appointment with divine destiny and it will not escape it. Period. Nothing going on in any Capitol building. Nothing going on. No plot. No conspiracy. Nothing is going to affect the time of that at all. The day is appointed. That's a message that we need as God's people. And it's a message that we need to share. Secondly, then, God has prescribed a method of judgment because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Remember, he reasoned to them of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. The standard of this judgment is going to be a judgment in righteousness. And I'm not talking about who is good or who is bad. And I might even say I'm not even talking about necessarily who's right or who's wrong about the latest political argument. Listen, the standard of this judgment is righteousness. And the righteousness that is under consideration in this passage is a righteousness which is of faith. It is a righteousness that is obtained in only one way, and that is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. That's it. That's it. And so it's not going to be a, a judgment based on, uh, uh, on, on anything. It's not about good versus evil, about who's been good or who's been bad or who's been naughty or who's been nice or who's liberal or who's conservative. It's none of that. It's about who's righteous or who's not. And this righteousness is based on whether a person has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ or they haven't. That's it. In Matthew chapter 24, and it's also recorded in Luke chapter 17, Jesus told a story. Told a story about a couple of guys working out in the farm field. And all of a sudden he said one would be taken and another would be left. Talked about people lying in their house, one taken, another left. And folks, that is the way it's going to be in the coming of the Lord. He is going to judge the world in righteous because, righteousness because those who are saved, those who are righteous are going to be going home. And those who are not are going to be left behind. And the world is going to be enduring a horrible time of divine judgment. In fact, when God told Daniel the prophet about it, and we'll see it in a few moments a little bit about it, uh, he told him, uh, the angel told him that this is a day like it's never been before. The world has never seen what it's going to see. 
we all as God's people then need to remember that this is a time of judgment and it is a judgment based on righteousness. That is on who is right with God because they believed on Jesus Christ and who is not. It's about taken or left behind. Or is your family going to be taken or are they going to be left? Are your friends going to be taken or left? Your co-workers, are they going to be taken or left? Your grandchildren, taken or left? we start thinking more about that, we'll get a good perspective real quickly about what we need to be doing. Remember I told you we need to take a page out of Paul's playbook. What do we need to do? What do we do? We need to remind people of the importance of repentance. They need to turn to Jesus Christ. We need to tell them why. Because God has appointed a day of judgment when he will judge the world in righteousness. Then he says that God has appointed a person to judge by the man whom he has ordained. ordained, And of course, that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 22 that all judgment has been committed under the Son. And I want you to know tonight that people can either bow before the Lord Jesus now or they will stand before him at some later time. We can either receive him as Savior or we'll face him as judge. All judgment has been committed under the sun. Uh, I remember an old friend of mine, I won't call his name, but he used to say, you know, God didn't make us scorekeeper. I sure am glad I'm not the scorekeeper. I I can't look at people and tell whether they're right or wrong, whether they're saved or lost. I can't see what's in the heart of people. I I can't know who's real and who's memorex. I I, I don't know. I can't can't tell you those things. But God can. He knows the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl on this planet, planet. He knows who has received Jesus Christ and who has not. All judgment then is committed under the sun. It's not our place to judge people. It's our place to share the gospel with people. Uh, Just just throw it out there. Uh, We kind of arrest some people on suspicion every now and then. Hey, just, just go ahead and throw them a little gospel. You never know. They might be saved if you are. If they are, they'll appreciate it. You ever had anybody witness to you? out in public maybe somebody come up to you hand you a track (laughs) did you get mad at them no you didn't they ain't gonna get mad at you either if they're christian they're gonna say hey thank you i'm glad to see somebody out witnessing might even encourage them to do a little bit more but they may be lost and it may be the message that they desperately need to hear god didn't make us the judge all judgment has been committed to the lord jesus christ It's one of the biggest lies that Satan tells to the people of the world is that God's people, Christian people, are just a bunch of judgmental folks. Unfortunately, it's not always a lie. Sometimes we can get on the judgmental side. We need to get out of it. All judgment has been committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact is that the message that he sends out is that whosoever will may come. We look at people in their sin and we say, man, look at them. Hey, guess what? Jesus Christ has already looked at them and he died on the cross for them. He'll save them all if they'll call upon him. Do you know that? Yes, he will. He'll save you tonight. 
if you'll call on him. There's a man that he has appointed judge. It's not me. It's not anybody in this building. It's not God's people. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for you. If he ends up judging you, it's going to be because you rejected his free offer of salvation and his incredible love for you. People need to repent then because God has appointed a person to judge because God has prescribed a method of judgment that's in righteousness. God has appointed a day and it's going to come and it will not tarry. And then God has given assurance of it. Verse 31, he says, by raising him from the dead. How do we know Jesus is coming back? Well, he already has once. (laughs) Remember, they took him outside the street of Jerusalem, beat him nearly to death, nailed him to a tree, Stuck a spear in his side till he died and they buried him. They put a guard on this tomb because they was afraid somebody would steal the body. They never imagined what was really going to happen. Oh, I can see all the people dancing with glee because Jesus is dead and buried and gone. We're done with him. They weren't done. He came back. And he presents himself in Revelation chapter 1 as the one who is dead who is dead and alive and is alive, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He ever lives then to make intercession for us. God has given assurance. How? Because he lived and he died. He came back and he's still alive. How do we know that he's coming back? He told us so. He already came back and he lives in forevermore. So tonight I've reminded you that there is a coming world ruler. We know who it is. Jesus Christ. Uh, I've, I've always been amazed at how many people are so fascinated over trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. You know what I say about that? Who cares? I'm looking for Jesus to come. <laughs> By the time the Antichrist is here, I'm going to be gone. And I don't have any control over that. God knows who he is. Where he is, what he's going to be, how he's going to rise to power. God knows all of that. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need some billionaire group's help. He doesn't need nobody's help. He's got it all worked out. He knows exactly what is going to happen. But what really matters is that there is one who is coming. That man has been established. The time of his coming is set and settled He will judge the world and rule the world then in righteousness. He will establish his kingdom and of his kingdom there shall be no end. If there's a coming world ruler and there is and we know this as God's people and we know who he is, his name is Jesus. Then what are we going to do about it? Well, obviously... Paul has spent a lot of time telling us that one thing that needs to be done about this is that people need to repent. Uh, Listen, you can close the book on Jesus Christ all you want to, but he's going to come back and open that book for you. You can't push him aside. You can live your life ignoring him, but you're still going to face him. He is coming, and because he is coming, you need to repent. You need to receive Jesus Christ as Savior before you face him in judgment. This is a time of repentance. 
There's also then a need for recognition. And by recognition, I mean that we as God's people then recognize this and live accordingly. We recognize it, that there's a coming world ruler. His name is Jesus. He will rule the world in righteousness. And how do we live? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols. (laughs) They did exactly in Thessalonica what he told them to do in Athens. They laughed him off Mars Hill, but you know what, Thessalonians, they heard him. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Why do you think they were doing that? Because he preached the same thing in Thessalonica. He preached in Athens. That's why. To wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. You wait for Jesus to come. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. There's that righteousness again. Wherefore, beloved... Seeing that you look for such things, and I've got this. I really didn't intend to read all of that to you, but I did. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So what persons ought you to be since you are looking for this? Since you know there's a coming world ruler. Since you know that he's going to rule the world in righteousness. uh, Since you know these things. Since you know that God has appointed a day. And that that day is set and settled. And that he is going to come and he will not tarry. It's not going to be put off. It's not going to be moved up. It's going to be right on time. Since you know these things. Since you know that world events are not really having anything to do with that. God has established a timetable, and that timetable is going to be followed. Since we know these things, then what kind of people ought we to be? Uh, Well, we need to live our lives looking for Jesus. Be found of him in peace. Isn't that an interesting statement? To be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and accounting that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Simon Peter was an old man when he wrote these words near the end of the first century, and a whole bunch of millenniums have come and gone since then. Generations of God's people have lived and died reading these words that the old Simon Peter wrote. They were true when Simon Peter wrote them. Guess what? They're still true today. You say, well, all them people died. Yeah, they did. Sure did. Jesus didn't come. No, he didn't. You know what that means? Salvation. 
<laughs> I've said it before. I'll say it to you again tonight. I'm glad Jesus didn't come at the end of the first century. I really am. Because <laughs> I'd have never been born. <laughs> I'd never had a chance to be saved. I, aren't, aren't you glad that you've had a chance to live and, and that God has, has, has set a time? Yes, he set a time, but that time was obviously a time that gave us the opportunity to live and, and to serve and to marry and have kids and, and get to know him and, and serve him in our life and be saved. What a, what a glorious thing it is. We need to see that the time that we have means salvation. There's time for more people to get saved. Time for more people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Time for us to share the gospel. Let's not squander the opportunities that God has given us. We need to repent. Yes, some do. We need to recognize the reality of this and live accordingly. And he's given us some great things here in these passages, just touching on them. But if there's a need then for repentance and a need then for recognition, there's also a need for what I'm going to call real-time living. Real-time living. The Old Testament prophet Daniel received probably more revelation about the end time than any other Old Testament prophet. Ezekiel might have been a close second. Uh, Zechariah certainly got a lot. But Daniel, oh, Daniel, got some amazing visions. And, and he got some t uh, personal time with some of the angels that came to talk to him. Daniel was greatly beloved. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, I heard the man clothed in linen. And this was an angel who was above the waters of the river. And he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven. This was a time when he swore. It's a serious, serious oath that he's taking. And he swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. Now, uh, what, uh, what he's talking about there is three and a half years. Three and a half years. Now, now the book of Revelation will give us a lot more information about that tonight. I don't have time to go into all that tonight. Uh, Daniel says this. Uh, he said, although, uh, and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. And although I heard, Daniel says, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. He repeated it then in verse 13. But you, Daniel, go your way until the end. For you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Go your way, Daniel. Go your way. This message is sealed. That is that God has written some things. He's given you some information. And Daniel wasn't going to figure it all out. It was sealed unto the end. God was going to reveal it at the end. And I want you to know tonight that we are still not going to figure all of this out. The Thessalonians had become obsessed with it. Somebody had told them that Jesus was coming back any time. And, and they were just scared to death and, and all obsessed. And Paul had to warn them, no, there's some things that have to happen first. And you're going to see this. Don't you remember? He said, I taught you this. And he called to remembrance some general things. And Daniel then had received some incredible messages. 
And he wanted to know more. And you know what? You and I are in exactly that same place. We want to know more. But our desire for knowledge in this thing can become a dangerous obsession just like it was in Thessalonica. Uh, we want to know everything about everything. And I'll tell you what, social media and all of the, uh, the information that we have out here right now, uh, we are bombarded constantly. And I see it all the time. I, I've, I've mentioned uh, several times, I, I see people running up and down the road with their phone in their hand. They can't put their phone down even to run. Uh, I mean, if, and I know some of them are playing games, but you know, some of them, are, man, I'm going to miss something. We, we're just so afraid that something's going to happen. Trying to figure it out. Trying to figure out what's happening, who's happening, what's going on. What about this? What about this? And what about this? And Somebody comes along and they've woven this all together with something about the end times. And, oh, well, man, this is something. What am I going to do? Am I going to resist it? I'm going to mention one thing for you tonight. I really kind of struggled whether I should do this. But I'm going to do it. We've all heard about the vaccine. And by now, most of you have heard that it's got a tracking chip in it. Y'all heard that? Have you heard it? Okay. I don't believe it. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe that, not for a minute. If that offends you, I'm sorry. I don't believe it. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'll just leave it at that. So, so let me ask you. Well, okay, they're going to put the trapping chip, there's a tracking chip in it, and that's going to be the mark of the beast. So, and this is what you're hearing. If you take the vaccine, then you're taking the mark of the beast. Some people are saying that. <laughs> the Greeks have a word for that. It's called bologna. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. You see what they're telling you. Listen, I want you to think with me tonight. And those of you at home, I want you to think. What they're saying is that there's this conspiracy going on there. And it's moving us toward this second coming and this beast kingdom. And it's the mark of the beast. And it's all this stuff. That's what it's saying. And what they're calling us to do then is what? Resist it. Oh, you can't take that vaccine, man. That's no, we gotta resist. All oh, this globalism stuff, man, we gotta resist. That's what they're calling you to. Is that not the truth? Am I telling you the truth tonight? Is not is that not how this argument is going? It is how it's going. That is what you're being called to do. We gotta stand against this. I want you to remember. God has appointed a day. And that day is going to come and it will not tarry. God does not need anybody's help to bring about this time of judgment on the world. He's going to do it. He told us he's going to do it. He told us how to avoid it. Amen. But he didn't tell us to go out there and resist what we think is the kingdom of the Antichrist. He didn't tell us to do that. <laughs> he told us to go out and tell people to repent. Because the day of judgment is coming. God has appointed a day. He has appointed a man. And he's given that man assurance because he raised him from the dead. 
The coming kingdom of Jesus Christ is real. And before he sets up his kingdom rule on this earth, he is going to judge the world in an unprecedented time of judgment. That's going to happen. And we as God's people need to deliver ourselves from all those who are trying to get us to spend our time and our energy and sometimes, yes, even sacrifice our credibility trying to fight something that's not real and it's not true and that God never called us to fight. You know, when they killed Jesus... And I use that term advisedly. When they crucified Jesus Christ. And I can say that because Simon Peter said to the Jews, you killed the prince of life. That's what he said. Acts chapter 2. When they killed Jesus, <laughs> they thought they had it won. If they would have known what was coming, they wouldn't have ever done it. They didn't know. They didn't have a clue. They thought the kingdom of heaven was going to just topple. That the princes of this world didn't know. And let me tell you something tonight. The princes of this world still don't know. Forget about their conspiracies. Don't worry about their plans or their plots. If it ushers in the time of the Antichrist. Then it does. But that doesn't change what God has said and what God has ordained. This is a time of God's judgment. And if he has ordained it, we don't want to find ourselves resisting what he's ordained. We need to focus on what God has called us to do. Take this page out of Paul's playbook. This is how you deal with a hostile, skeptical world that doesn't much care for you. It doesn't much care for your Jesus. You preach to them, speak to them of the necessity of repentance. Of the fact that this world has an appointment with destiny. That God has appointed a man and judged the world in righteousness. But you don't have to face him as judge because you can receive him as Savior. Show them. Tell them. That's the truth. And we can say it with full confidence.